totally at the World Cup. Go away, this one is not good for you. Day 14, Gotterdammerung, as South Korea give Germany das boot from the World Cup. Totally ask, you okay, hun? Scoring less, crying more and having to come home early when everyone else is still out having a good time, the Germans discover the downsides of love. As Sweden and Mexico, Switzerland and Brazil all sail through, we turn our thoughts to Thursday as the group stages come to an end. The last four places in the last 16 getting settled and England and Belgium's epic battle to come second. It's all in totally at the World Cup. So joining us on this Wednesday, the 14th day of the World Cup, Adam Hurry is in from Football Clichés. Hi. Nice to see you, Adam. Jack Lang is back. Hello. And Michael Cox returns. Hi, James. Ready to add a little bit of perspective on a day that reeked of history. Germany out of the World Cup. This is not a drill. Germany out of the World Cup. News that shocked the world from this foreign country... to this foreign country. Wow. Adam, where were you when Germany crashed out of the World Cup at the group stage for the first time since, you know, ages? Uh, I was sat on a bus. Trying to get to New Malden. Yes, which yeah. is London's little career. And they had much to celebrate. A 2-0 win. And the weird thing was, it wasn't that weird. No, the way Germany have played all tournament has been very underwhelming and the way they played here followed that same vein. I thought they were uh, fairly ponderous in possession. At the back, they kept getting exposed to the extent that those two late South Korea goals probably seemed inevitable the way they were playing in the second half. And yeah, just no real fight, no real ideas and no real plan by the look of it, the way they lined up and the way they went about their business. So on balance of play, South Korea, you'd have to say weathered the storm but probably looked as dangerous as Germany throughout and punished them. Scored two goals which the Germans certainly did. What's the zonalmarking.net take (laughs) on this historic match, Michael? Well, I think Germany throughout the tournament were probably slightly unfortunate not to score more but they were quite lucky not to concede more. Uh, They've been so open to the counter-attack throughout this tournament from the Mexico game in the first half when the two defenders, the two centre-backs were left on their own. Sweden, they were caught out by a couple of long balls. And then South Korea, who who really did uh, take their time to get those two goals. Well, I mean, literally, because they were both in stoppage time. But they had so many counter-attacks where if they'd made the right decision, they could have put the Mm. game to bed. So I think that would be the most concerning thing for Germany. And the lovely thing was that we ended on that note of fast with with Manuel Neuer coming out into the Korean half to do a, a little bit of midfielder work, giving the ball away and then Hyung min Son sweeping up the other end and, 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 and scoring into an open, into an empty net. Yeah, it was great stuff. I mean, we increasingly hear these days, we've heard it recently with uh, Jordan Pickford that he's so good outfield that he could play in midfield. Well, Noy is meant to be the best sweeper-keeper 
And, uh, you know, I wouldn't be fielding him as a midfielder in the next game, put it that way. Right. Well, do you know what? Let's hear from Raphael Honigstein, who, of course, has been out following the World Cup and Germany in particular for ESPN FC. He's in philosophical mood. Rafa's coming home. That's, he's that's exactly. coming home he's a lot earlier yeah. than anticipated. Yeah, exactly. For you, Rafa, the World Cup is over. For you, World Cup, love is no longer king. Yeah, victim of love. That's what you were. You were standing in the shadows of love. You gave love a bad name, Rafa. Love supreme. <laughs> yeah. What is the reaction? What is the reaction going to be in Germany? How, how bad is this going to hit, this proud footballing nation? Well, it's going to come as a huge shock, of course. Germans are not used to being so bad at World Cup. Euros, yes, but um, World Cup, you have to go back, as you know, to the eight, uh, 80 years ago um, to find a performance like that. And it will be anger, frustration. People will point the finger at Blur. Mesut Ozil, I think, will get it in the, in the neck as well from certain quarters, as he always does, in defeat. But the biggest story, I think, here is that the team turned up with a sense of entitlement and a sense of that was just a little bit mistaken. And they were punished for it and they got what they deserved. This love fellow with his five changes for this game, is he the guy who's going to come out of today and this whole World Cup experience the worst? We have to see. We have to see. The FA were not, are not going to fire him. They will leave it to him to make up his mind. He seems pretty shell-shocked, very disappointed, as you'd expect. And I think he needs to weigh up his options. Uh, on the one hand, it's a very lucrative deal that runs for 2022. If he finishes now, there's no guarantee big clubs are queuing up for him as they were before the World Cup. Uh, on the other hand, I think some of the trust that he shared with his players will be gone. The sense that uh, he always gets things right will be gone to an extent. And, of course, he will come to the Euros, if he does stay, not just the World Cup winner, but also the guy who presided over Germany's biggest failure in the World Cup in 80 years. So it's a typical choice for him to make, I think. Rafa, the performance in the World Cup, but particularly today against South Korea. Was it complacency or was this just simply that's as good as this team can be? As a team, it looked as, as good as they could be. But of course, individually, they have players that should be good enough to beat the likes of Korea and, uh, and Mexico. I think complacency certainly was a factor going into the tournament, both from the players' side and from Lowe. Lowe, for a long time, pretended there was nothing wrong, despite a lot of indications in the friendlies. And even going back a bit further, that Germany are not playing a particularly successful, efficient type of football or even thrilling. But he didn't change much. And I think that sent a message to the players that there is nothing to be changed and everything is fine. And they turned up and were completely shocked to find a Mexico team that very quickly exposed the formula as a little bit stale and a little bit predictable. And then Germany kind of started chasing their own tail for the last, uh, for the other two games of the tournament. And I think. Lewis started second-guessing himself as well. The formation today was very puzzling. And, of course, he changed everything again in the second half. It was kind of an admission that he got it all wrong. And he ended up with something that was neither here nor there. You finished below South Korea in the group in last place, Rafa. Uh, we've had rough times for the German national side before 2000, 2004. And, of course, somebody wrote a great book about how Germany's bounced back from that. Does this feel like the lowest you've ever seen, the national side? Oh, no, no. I mean, this, this doesn't compare to the, to the dark days of the 90s, uh, 94, 98. Why was that worse? The fundamentals were much worse. You didn't have good German coaches then, or very few. You didn't have good youth development, if there was any youth development. 
And this was not just teams underperforming. This was a real depth staff of quality and talent. Germany were not producing the likes of Leroy Sané and Julian Brandt and Royce and Goretzka. They were just producing holding midfielders. So the fundamentals now look, look much better. And I think the comparison is not so much Germany in 1990 or 2000, the comparison to Spain four years ago, where the team just formed, but you could see that the players are actually there just waiting to, uh, for a few changes to be made. And perhaps one of the truly experienced guys calling it a day. In, in many ways, the, I guess the most natural explanation is that we're having a kind of bizarre body swap World Cup where Germany's team has lots of established big-name players who kind of plod their way through the group stage and underperform and look lost and crash out against an unfancied side. And England bring in a team of interchangeable team players who whiz past the opposition and score lots of goals and make it look easy. I was thinking about the same thing today um, ahead of a possible meeting in the, in the quarters. Of course, that's what's going to happen now. Um, and it reminded me a little bit of the situation in 2010 where... England, as you said, they had the winners. They had the experienced guys. Uh, Germany were a team that looked a little bit still, you know, on the make, a little bit half-fake, not quite there yet. But they had enough to, to top of the side that was perhaps overestimating themselves. And I think it could have well been a similar outcome. Some people on Twitter saying, you know, Germany's disaster now spares them an even bigger disaster when it came to coming against real opposition, which, of course, they never never managed to face at this World Cup. So I think there is something in that parallel. You're listening to The Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Raphael Hornigstein, you can read more of his thoughts, but hurry, uh, on ESPN FC. Typical though, isn't it? You, you finally get a bad Germany in a World Cup and they go out before we can play them, Adam. I actually thought they did look very Englandy today. There were there, yeah. there were some aspects of each of England's recent failures in their performances. That counter attack um, was eerily similar to when England went out in 2010 to Germany, of course. But um, the rest of their rest of their rest of that game was essentially Germany trying to kind of half-heartedly break open that door, and it just looked like a team, as we've said, devoid of ideas. And that's something we associate with England over the last sort of six or eight years. So it's interesting to see Germany now in that phase, but. Unfortunately for the rest of us, as, as much as we're enjoying this kind of schadenfreude, I, you can't really say that there's infrastructural problems going behind the scenes. This isn't a long-term issue. Uh, the worst thing you can say about Germany, perhaps, is that they just had a group of players who just all happened to be in poor form at the same time. Right. And that's how I kind of saw it today. Well, Stefan tweeting and saying Germany has depth. Uh, Love just didn't pick him. Uh, remember, the B team dominated the Confederations Cup. And the name that everyone was banging on about was Leroy Sane, of course, but there are plenty of others. Michael, what's your view? Yeah, I mean, one of the stars of the Confederations Cup was Timo Werner, who they brought into the side and played up front, and uh, I thought he did all right. I think we'll get criticism because he didn't find the net, but quite difficult for him against deep defences. I don't think anyone on the German side, with the vague exception of Marco Royce, uh, played to their potential. I mean, I thought, you know, never seen Tony Cruz marked out of the game as he was against Mexico. Ozil, I hate to, you know, go for the cliche, but he, he didn't look particularly interested at certain well, points. Though he did create seven chances, the statistics say, in the game against South Korea. Yeah, I mean, they, they were crosses and, and maybe Hummel should have um, headed certainly one of them, maybe two of them home. But um, from from back to front, I thought everyone looked really poor. Thomas Muller looks badly out of shape. Uh, Joshua Kimmich, who I think is uh, one of the few players who did have a good season, was constantly bypassed down the right. Neuer obviously made that dreadful error and, and made a handling error early in the game. I mean, from front to back, they were just completely out of form. And I think that 
you know, you have to consider whether there's a, a kind of unifying theme. And I dare say that despite the fact he's under contract for another couple of years, that uh, Yogi Lowe's position will come under threat. What about South Korea, Jack? Finishing third above Germany, not quite making it through. If Mexico hadn't blown up against Sweden, then then they would have had a chance. But still a fantastic way for them to finish their World Cup. Yeah, and I think the way we saw them celebrate the final whistle, they, those weren't, to me, uh, celebrations of a team that thought they were still in with a chance. I think the scoreline from the other game will have filtered through. They were just scenes of jubilation for a team that has had a lot of uh, criticism. We know that they limped out of the Brazil World Cup four years ago and had quite a, a rocky reception back at home. And I think it was just a, a rocky road reception. He, <laughs> and I think it was just a, a nice bit of relief and maybe... Probably because they don't have to do their national service now. Is that right? Well, I don't, I, I don't think <laughs> a, a victory in this game will have spared them that. Really? Okay. Maybe in the Asian games. It did. There was a wonderful scene outside uh, the Sweden-Mexico game where a bunch of Mexican fans found a South Korean and kind of <laughs> carried him off in triumph. That's he what looked... Adam was trying to look for in New Morden, I think. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> so they were so delighted because Mexico, as you probably saw, managed to lose 3-0 to Sweden but still stay in the cup because of South Korea beating Germany. So these Mexican fans were, were just trying to express their gratitude in the only way they knew how. South Korea then. Um, I just wanted to say, uh, the South Korean keeper with the Mark Almond haircut, he, he was really cool, good, wasn't he? he? Yeah, I like him. Uh, Cho Hyung-woo. Mm-hmm. Apparently he dreams of playing in the Premier League, so uh, could be seeing him. It looks yeah, oh, really? like a K-pop star. His nickname in, in South Korea is Day Haya. Oh, right. Uh, and it's, it's, it's quite a complicated nickname because obviously it, it relates to De Haya, but mm-hmm. also because of his hair, because he has, he has this kind of sort of ginger... Buffons, right, and so it all comes together as as de hair, but also it also in English it sounds like dye hair. So right. so there's so many layers to it, but yeah, um, they love yeah superb nicknaming anyway. Um, but yeah, he he was actually their third choice keeper at the start of the tournament, was he? And he was brought in because he was their tallest keeper, and they were slightly paranoid about um, you know this the Scandinavian titans of Sweden. And uh, he, he kept his place. He looks all right. He's, yeah, good reflexes. Um, I could see him in the Premier League. Looking for career opportunities. Thanks, Jack. <laughs> so let's move on then to uh, Sweden's clash with, with uh, Mexico. Sweden then, kind of quietly, they emerge as the real dangers of Group F. Yeah, I mean, I can't say... You don't sound convinced, Michael. Well, I can't say I saw this coming. I mean, the only two games I'd seen from them in qualification were the playoffs against Italy. Mm -hmm. I was really impressed with the organisation. I think, as I've said before, they play very basic football, but in a very organised way. And I think at international level, that can take you far. Um, And and teams have struggled against that kind of direct long ball football, which, to be honest, I can't think of any other side that has really... Maybe Iceland, um, that has really just been honest and gone... We've got two big lads, let's stick it long. Well, we were doubting yesterday their ability to, to bring the game to Mexico. They've, they've really survived on minimum possession thus far and, and the odd uh, Grand Fist penalty. But this saw them opening up all sorts of new facets of, of play. Is that right, Jack? Yeah, a bit of fortune, I think, especially, obviously, the Edson Alvarez own goal, an amazing feat of self-harm from Mexico. <laughs> I think you would struggle to do that if you tried. And even the first goal was mainly had more to do with a bizarre miskick by Victor Klaassen that fell kindly for Augustinsson. So I would wonder about whether they would score those types of goals again, but they certainly seem to have a fair bit of intent. Have they kind of wandered into the last 16 by accident? I guess we'll find out when they take on Switzerland, who do look a proper 
composed team. They were playing in kind of the B movie on on Wednesday night while uh, Serbia and Brazil were hogging our attention at, at the Spartak. We'll come on to that shortly. But yeah, it's it's going to be a really interesting lineup in the last sixteen. Well, Switzerland, Sweden isn't isn't the ratings winner of of the of that lineup. It's it's got some very Euro two thousand four vibe about it. Uh, Swiss, Swiss, uh, Sweden, sorry belong there two solid kits mm-hmm. uh, Grankfist who to me is the oldest looking player in the tournament scoring some lovely penalties so he, he he's very welcome to a last 16 place um, Brazil-Mexico is quite an interesting game actually Mexico for the first two games looked like they, they were everyone's cult favourites and mm-hmm. then they kind of chucked it all away in the, in the last game in terms of morale because there is this debate at the moment about whether is, is resting players yeah. and, and letting it go for the third game um, okay but then you lose momentum I'm very much a momentum man in that respect um, because I I don't think there is any kind of anecdotal evidence in previous tournaments that teams can just really sort of phone it in for a third group game and then can just pick up where they left off but having said that Brazil-Mexico from a football perspective is a very interesting game It should be good I, I, I agree with you I mean to this kind of un- untutored eye Mexico really did look like they thought this one was already in the bag and to be fair it was because they lost 3-0 and still went through so I guess they're the real winners That Sweden win was good news for one former Sweden player in particular I don't know if you saw this Was it the man who was smashed his living room up while his kids no, laughed No, it him. wasn't. It was Anders Svensson, the ah. former uh, Sweden and Southampton midfielder, nicknamed Taco because he likes tacos so much. He promised before the match that if Sweden lost this, he would never have a taco again. <laughs> On the final whistle, what does he tweet out? A picture of himself tucking into a lovely platter of tacos. Anders having his taco. <laughs> okay. Um, right, okay. Well, we've got lots to talk about still. Let's have a little break and then we'll come back with how Brazil got to that last 16 clash with Mexico. Unbelievable. Unbelievable this. Yes, yes, yes. Wednesday night saw Brazil conquer their place in the last 16 by defeating Serbia 2-0. Goals chief correspondent... Pete Staunton brings us this on the whistle report from a noisy Spartak arena in Moscow. Well, Brazil's job done uh, after the beat Serbia 2-0 here in Moscow. Still plenty of work to be done, though, for Brazil if they're going to live up to their favourites, Billing. Neymar looks a little isolated, a little out of sorts. But it was his corner, in fact, that put them 2-0 to declare after Serbia mounted somewhat of a mini-comeback uh, in the second half. But the creative hope of this team at the moment, it's Philip Coutinho. His through ball was brilliant for Paulinho uh, to get Brazil up and running in the first half. But there's going to be bigger tests uh, than Serbia uh, on the road to a potential sixth World Cup uh, for Brazil, that's for sure. There's nothing in this team that the likes of France or Portugal or even England or Belgium would look at and think, hmm, we can't do anything there. So Serbia are out, Switzerland are through, Brazil. Favourites by name now with Germany uh, off their horizon, that's for sure. It's 2-0 here uh, in the Spartak Stadium in Moscow. Well, we all sat and watched this in totally HQ at Jazz FM. Does that tally with your impression of, of Brazil? Are you any more Im- impressed and convinced by them now, Jack? Uh, I thought it was a 6, 7 out of 10 performance. It didn't really get my pulse racing, I would say, but you can't really argue with the end result. They've qualified in a fairly comfortable style, if not entertaining. I think there's a lot of work to be done. The uh, I think Alisson looked fairly shaky at a few points. The injury to Marcelo is a worry in itself, but also because there have been plenty of injury worries already in the squad. With, you know, Douglas Costa's injured, Renato Augusto and Fred have had injuries, Danilo is injured. Uh, so I would be slightly concerned that they will stack up. But I think Neymar played better than he has in the first two games. And I think they just did enough. It wasn't thrilling, but they got yeah. there. Yeah. 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 
Well, I did, there were plenty of exciting moments, particularly when Serbia had that flurry of chances at the start of the, of the of the second half. And Brazilian defending, although it's not quite as sexy as the stuff at the other end, has been absolutely magnificent so far. They dealt quite well with Serbia's probing. In the first half, it was quite half-hearted. In the second half, they stopped kind of going straight to Mitrovic. And they start feeding those cute little balls into the area. Um, Kolarov on the left feeding into Tadic and trying to get to Mitrovic that way, a little bit cuter. And that caused, a, I found a few holes in the Brazilian defence and but as as Jack said apart from that one Alison flap mm. there wasn't really a huge amount of drama going I was quite disappointed by Serbia actually because they 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 had the tools I mean I'm a Mitrovic is a huge cult hero of mine and uh, but you need to get the ball to him and then he he's a, a lovely wall that you can kind of bounce the ball off but um they didn't get near enough to him to cause problems so as as far as a, a test of Brazil's metal I don't think it was a particularly stern one but I'm beginning to think now that when you look back at past World Cup winners do we really remember group games do we really remember how how you know, emphatic they were in the group stages because it is just all about getting through. And it, I'm not saying it's just about just getting the job done. Right. But do you really have to impress? I don't think you do. Well, they, they've, I mean, that's a good point. They've struggled in recent years. I mean, Germany, four years ago, they had that good win over Portugal, but otherwise they look really shaky. Spain famously lost their first game in 2010 against Switzerland. And Italy in 2006, 2006. started with, uh, was it a draw against um, USA? USA yeah. And De Rossi was sent off. Yeah. So, I completely agree. They, Just got yeah. by Australia. Do you remember with that uh, totty penalty? With a grosso dive. Well, <laughs> dive. Yeah, I'm going to say it. A grosso dive. Also, yeah. also, um, you hear a lot about how international teams find it very hard to gather any rhythm because they don't play very often. So three games in a group stage is about as as frequently and, and compressed a schedule as international teams are ever going to get. So when they get to the knockouts, they're probably about as finely tuned as they're ever going to be. So that I think I think group stages are essentially just a tuner if you're good enough to get through. Mm. All right. Two good goals, no? Uh, Thiago Silva's header was fantastic for the second and, and uh, Cucina's delicately flighted ball in for Paulinho was a... A, a, a joy to, to watch as well, Jack. Yeah, I think Coutinho is going to get a lot of the plaudits for this and understandably so. That was a lovely pass. But I think Thiago Silva is probably up there with Brazil's most important players. It's interesting that he, when Chichi took control of the team, Thiago Silva really wasn't one of his first choice defenders. Only started one of Chichi's first 10 games in charge. Uh, Marquinhos was the preferred partner for Miranda. But kind of a slight rethink before the tournament, I think uh, Thiago Silva's comfort on the ball was uh, influential in him getting into the team, being able to start attacks from the back a bit better than Marquinhos can. I think if Brazil play a team with a lot of speed, I think Brazil might miss Marquinhos's pace. But at the moment, Thiago Silva's done very well. And that was his second goal at World Cups. The last one four years ago, also from a corner, also set up by Neymar. Huh. So he's quite a useful uh, piece of artillery to roll out for those situations. Absolutely. OK, the other group game on Wednesday evening saw Switzerland drawing 2-2 with Costa Rica in Nizhny Novgorod, which means, Michael, that all the teams at the World Cup scored. Yeah, that's always uh, nice. I think it happened uh, last time in Brazil. Did and, it? Um, you know, you saw the scenes when Costa Rica did get their first goal today. The fans went absolutely wild. And I just think it's... There's so many fans who've spent thousands of pounds and taken time off work and done... In- Put kilos on. Yeah, done incredible things together. And I just think every team getting to celebrate is uh, quite a nice moment, if that's not too kind of... Uh, not too lame to say. It's no, nice, no, nice not- for everyone to have their moment. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, then. Let's, uh, let's find out what's going to be cheering the fans up on Thursday in the World Cup after this.
The final last 16 places will be assigned as groups H and G go at it. Japan and Poland in Volgograd in the afternoon, Senegal and Colombia simultaneously in Samara. And then Thursday evening sees Panama taking on Tunisia in Saransk and then actually at exactly the same time, England-Belgium in Kaliningrad. All right, let's talk Panama Tunis. No, actually, let's talk England Belgium. <laughs> England Belgium. Before we look at this game, let's get a quick word from Emma Saunders, who you recall usually does the stadium announcing for the Hornets of Vicarage Road, but she's currently stadium announcer for Kaliningrad Stadium, and thus will be emceeing Thursday night's whopping clash. I think before the tournament started, of course, there's precautions in place. When we're rehearsing what we do, the announcing, if you look into the stands, there were also stewards rehearsing what they were doing. So you genuinely had volunteers pretending to break out in fights and then stewards going down and settling it or volunteers with flags they're not supposed to have. And then you watch the the stewards dealing with it from a distance. And so far, so good. The training's paid off because we've had no trouble at all, really, in Kaliningrad um, Stadium. The only trouble we have had seemed to always have a bit of late drama. So you had the late Switzerland goal, uh, Shakiri, and then, of course, uh, all the drama with the VAR and Spain-Morocco. Morocco fans didn't take too well to that decision late on, and there were a few bottles launched onto the pitch. Uh, we did get a bit wet, but then we're used to that here because, as you've seen probably on the television as well, the weather's not been great here. Uh, we've had a lot of rain, and it doesn't seem like they prepared too well for that. The DJ decks is right next to me, pitch side, and we've had a few situations. I've been stood next to him holding up an umbrella over his MacBook. But fortunately, it looks as if the England fans have brought the heat wave with them because the sun's shining today, uh, and by all accounts, it's going to be a gorgeous evening tomorrow uh, as well, which makes our job pitch side a lot easier and I have to say I'm really really looking forward to all the pre-match stuff with the England fans because all the fans have been so enthusiastic it's honestly the easiest job in the world trying to get people hyped up for the games but I think tomorrow highlight for sure is going to be uh, building up to kickoff. each country has their World Cup song played of course England don't have an official anthem this year so I have the pleasure of introducing karaoke in Kaliningrad Stadium and it's three lines 98 it's going to be great It's a historic game, isn't it? It's the game of this. A minute left. It's Gascoigne shaping to take it. And chipped in. And volleyed in! And it's there by David Platt! England have done it in the last minute of extra time! Before you were born, Adam, probably, was it? No, I was seven. Were you? Yeah. Were you watching? Yeah, I was in I was in a bar in America, I think. It's seven years of age. Yeah. Wow. You weren't on a bus this time. <laughs> Globe trotting family back then. Oh, okay, nice. Like hippies, but not really. I was a little bit older than that, and we we knew something big was happening because England finally had a good song for the World Cup. And equally, in '96, when again we reached the semi-final, England had a good song for the tournament. And what worries me this year is everyone's getting excited about these group stage results, but we just plainly don't have a good song. Is there an England song, Michael? Uh, There have been. They're probably not worthy of mention. I I prefer not to think about the um, Freddie Flintoff and Kaiser Chiefs effort. No. But I don't think there's an official song, you're right. Right. Yeah. Okay. It's barely even a song. 
Which is or, weird, really, because you'd think as part of the England charm offensive they might have done something, but maybe it's just one step too far, too tacky. By the way, Three Lions was never the official song of the 96 campaign. It was actually a Simply Red song, and who remembers that now? Yeah, I think it was called uh, We're In This Together. Oh, actually, OK, you do remember this then. OK, it was called We're In This Together, and this is what it sounds like. From the people in need to the sun and the seas We're in this together We're in this together Oh, my word. Quite handy for doing those kind of we-exit at the semi-finals montages, you know, after after it all goes wrong on penalties. But in terms of whipping up further, not so good. Anyway, let's let's return then to what awaits. Could I just make one quick point Please. about Mick Hucknall? Oh, yeah. Uh, um, I happened to go to a kind of charity football dinner a couple of years ago that was there to commemorate Pele, and uh, Mick Hucknall came out as a surprise guest and sang a song. Oh, yeah. And Mick Hucknall is godfather to one of Pele's children, I believe. Well, it could well be the other way around. I can't remember. But either Pele or Mick Hucknall is godfather to either Pele or Mick Hucknall's Statistically, child. I think it's more... Well, actually, no. <laughs> <laughs> They're both... I believe mean, Pele is godfather to about 1,742 children. Yeah. If you haven't been asked to be godfather to the one, you, you know... But why? they appeared to be old friends. It was a very unlikely friendship. All right. So which other kind of 90s, 80s, 90s pop stars do you have uh, unexpected anecdotes about, Michael, after your Robbie Williams reminiscences? No, very few. I think okay. I think that's it. Sorry. Okay. All right. Okay. So um, anyway, I feel we should get back to what awaits on Thursday night then. You will recall, listener, that both England and Belgium are two for two. They've got the exact same goal difference, exact same number of goals scored, exactly the same record, except England have had one fewer yellow card. Who's going to go top? Who wants to go top? Michael, what are the permutations? Well, I think both teams should want to finish second. And it's not really about who they get in the next round, because as we've discussed previously, I think the difference between Colombia, Senegal, uh, Japan, relatively minimal. I prefer to avoid Colombia, but not that much difference. You look further in the competition. I mean, these are the halves of the draw at at the moment. The top half is Uruguay, Portugal, France, Argentina, Mexico, Brazil. Six pretty strong teams. And if you finish top of this group, that's the half you go into. That's where you go into. Whereas if you finish second, you're in the half with Spain, who are the one good side, alongside Russia, Croatia, Denmark, Sweden and Switzerland. I think it's pretty clear that you want to be in the bottom half of the draw. Going back to what you were saying before, Adam, about dialing it back and then trying to turn it back on again. Can either team afford to take their foot off the gas? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm interested by this, this talk of you know weaker sides of the draw and stuff because, practically speaking, how is that ever going to manifest itself in a game plan? Because y- you know full well that Gareth Southgate see- uh, sorry, privately isn't going to go and tell his England players to go and play within themselves. And publicly, it would be monumentally stupid to say that we... Uh, that- he thought it would be better for England to finish second because, as we know, you know, pride comes before a fall even more so these days. Social media, people will be lapping that up if we if we go out to a team who are supposedly unfancied in the second round. That said, Belgium are going to make massive changes, says their manager, Roberto so. Martinez. Yeah. But that's surely how it's going to work into the game plan. Right. If they wanted to finish top, they would play stronger teams, but they don't, so they're going to ro- ro- uh, rotate loads of players. There's possibly knocks for Lukaku, Hazard and Dries Mertens. <laughs> yeah, they're, and also... they're whole front three. 
Okay. I mean, if it was the final, they'd all be playing, wouldn't well, it? Also, it's a nonsense. Then you've got Kevin De Bruyne, Munia and Vertonghen who've all got a yellow card. And if they pick up another, then they're going to be, you know, before the quarterfinals, then they're, then they're going to miss the next game. So they'll probably get rested as well. Is this game actually going to be really boring? I think it could be OK if the, the players that come in are eager to make their mark, looking to nail down a starting spot. But I think everything is set up for it to be far more underwhelming than we might have hoped when the uh, the competition started. Obviously, you've got a lot of Belgian players playing in the Premier League. There's a lot of uh, crossover between the squads, really. And the fact that it's boiling down to these kind of uh, half-baked plans for losing is quite quite bizarre, really. <laughs> what, and what would you like to see from, from Gareth Southgate's side Thursday? Would you like to see, I don't know, Rashford start up front? Or? Yeah, I think he will. I mean, yeah. I, I, to be honest, I think that's the one area where... Uh, it's not just a rotation. It's also, if you play well, you're probably going to keep your place here. I think pretty much everyone else is nailed on in their position. I can't see who else would break into the side, really. Maybe Danny Rose if he has a good game at left wing back. But Sterling's been okay so far. But I I think there's a sense that Rashford really suits the way this England side play. Um, and so if he gets a goal, I think he'll he'll keep his place for the next round. Also, I don't, I don't think Southgate is is given to kind of wholesale changes just to just to fill gaps in in teams he likes continuity he likes players coming in to do specific roles he's not just going to going to you know just field 11 players just to make up the numbers and, and get the game done it doesn't seem to me like that. that's the way he works Loftus Cheek and Carl Walker both on yellow cards would you expect them to get uh, rested well, if Deli Ellie's fit, I think it would be worth getting him back in, getting his rhythm going again. As for Carl Walker, I think they're quite well covered in that respect. If he's playing on the right side of the three, then you've probably got Phil Jones to come in. Cahill's probably more comfortable on the left. So Southgate's probably got options there. Mm. OK, well, the other game in the group uh, tomorrow evening, Thursday evening, will be Tunisia-Panama. Both teams, of course, already out of the tournament, but trying to send their supporters home with a big smile on their faces. The other group that's in action on Thursday, Group H, which will supply the last 16 opponents for England and Belgium, Japan and Senegal, who are level uh, on top this group with Colombia one point behind... Japan goes through if they draw against Poland, or draw or better against Poland. Poland already out. Senegal and Colombia play each other, and you know who wins goes through. Although Senegal would be okay with the draw as well. This is this is probably going to be, or it looks like being the game of the day. You know, Senegal Colombia, Jack. Yeah, I think so. Actually, Colombia's last game against Poland, I thought, was one of the most enjoyable games so far. Uh, maybe because I just wasn't working and didn't have to take notes and really pay attention I just watched the whole thing and it's just really cool but that was a fun game I thought they attacked with real not just speed and pace but also a lot of uh, creativity they really got players who can pick nice passes can do unexpected things uh, chief among them of course James Rodriguez but we've seen Juan Fernando Quintero come to the fore I think he is uh, a good shout for everyone's new favorite player this tournament it was quite cool this didn't get picked up on on UK TV, but after he gave the pass to Falcao for Falcao's goal, uh, his manager, Jose Beckerman, called him over to the touchline and just shouted at him, you're a genius, you're a genius, <laughs> you're a genius, which I thought is uh, was really cool. And well, he, Beckerman uh, had done quite well because he had Quintero and Rodriguez in there and Cuadrado with Falcao up front. And now we could see Carlos Sanchez come back in from his suspension. Is that that big news? Uh, I don't think it would change much. Abel Aguiar, who started as well, is also going to be out. So it would be Sanchez and uh, Mateus Uribe, who actually did really well when he came off the bench against Poland. But let's be honest, Poland were absolute trash in that yeah. game. So I uh, 
I wait to see how Colombia are going to do against the Senegal team that's been quite good. Yeah, Senegal, the last African side in the competition. How good are they, Michael? Senegal, I think they're a really good side. I think they're disciplined. Um, they've got speed on the counter-attack and I think Mane plays an important role for them, providing some creativity. I mean, I'd really like to see Colombia go through personally because I think they could go quite far in this competition. But um, it would be the first time, I mean, if Senegal don't go through, it'd be the first time since I think 86 that no African side has got through to the knockout stages, which I think really would be quite a blow for African football, which really seems to have stagnated over the last 10 or 15 years from a point where we thought, you know, certainly the... So it's like Nigeria and Senegal themselves after 2002 were, were going to become major forces. That hasn't really happened. So um, I think this is not just the game of the day, but potentially the game of the round, actually. I think it's uh, pretty much a knockout game early between two really exciting teams. Three o'clock Thursday afternoon, Senegal taking on Colombia. Senegal ruining their 2-2 draw in the previous match against Japan, uh, in which they twice let the lead slip. And Alou Sisse saying, we're, we were not very good. I think the best team on the pitch was Japan, I have to be honest. So it's going to be interesting that Japan themselves will be taking on Poland Thursday afternoon uh, in a match which is the biggest, kind of the most pleasant surprises of the tournament, Japan, against, along with Germany, the biggest disappointments, Poland. I was disappointed by Poland. I wasn't expecting a great deal. They were eighth in the the FIFA rankings coming into this tournament. Seeded side in this group. Yeah. But although, I I mean, I then kind of read up and discovered that it's because they didn't play any friendlies for a whole year. Yeah, I mean, which might be why the team is playing so badly now. Yeah, they have kind of games the ranking system. Although it's slightly odd that people kind of look upon that as kind of cheating. I mean, that just seems like the natural, intelligent thing to do, so that you get good draws. Albeit a good draw hasn't helped them this time around. Mm. Well, the the fans are apparently selling their tickets half price because nobody wants to go along and watch this game. Morale must be low, you'd think. What are their chances of going out with a bang? Um. Well, it's all about Lewandowski, as he's he's always mooted as their primary threat. But of course, but it's all about getting the ball to him. He doesn't he doesn't win games on his own. He's not going to be running around, dribbling around players and scoring from thirty yards. The thing is, what strikes me about Poland is they kind of seem to be in a bit of stasis. There's no, there's not new players coming through. That it seems to be the same old Poland that we've seen, relatively highly rated in the last few years. There's there's no you know green shoots of hope for for them. But um, it it could be an entertaining game, just like the other one could be. This is a, this is definitely the wall chart. Uh, fixture list isn't it th- th- tomorrow because um, anyone who hasn't got a scoring draw for either of those games or high scoring draw rather has, has got it all wrong well today was all about teams that were already out causing major disturbances to, to teams that still had a chance and could that happen with, with Poland tomorrow could they could they knock Japan out of the running and, and Colombia and Senegal go through it's not impossible you know you see we've seen it countless times a team that has nothing left to lose you know somehow manages to pick up their performance level but and also Japan despite having played well they have shown weaknesses they've conceded some quite sloppy goals but it, Japan is a team I quite like actually they uh, play some neat stuff they've got players on the pitch and on the bench who can make a difference good to see Takashi Inui continuing his form he showed at Abar during the season and yeah I'm if I had to pick at this stage, I'd probably pick Colombia and Japan to, to find a way out. But I think it will be a dramatic last day. All right. Well, we'll see what happens then. By tea time on Thursday, we'll know two of the teams going through uh, to the last 16. And then we can settle down for that sizzling uh, England-Belgium match. Woof. All right. Uh, before, by the way, before the England-Belgium match, uh, we'll be doing a totally football quiz on our Facebook page. It should be 
pretty much just before kickoff, but check Twitter for details. Anyway, having spoke about all those games, let's get a check now on the odds for them. Producer Ben has been speaking to Paddy Power. Thank you, Jimbo. Lee Price from Paddy Power. England. Let's talk about them. They're taking on Belgium. Can they win the group? We can win the whole thing, Ben. I haven't stopped talking about them. Um, no, so Panama was obviously lovely, but an exception. This could be where we come bouncing back to earth with a victory, actually. I think uh, we're favourites to win this game, 17-10. to 10. Belgium are 15-8 to 8 for the win. It's 2-1 to 1 the draw. Panama versus Tunisia really is the big game that day, but we'll gloss over that. Uh, what about the other two games? They're in Group H, Japan versus Poland. Poland already out and Senegal versus Colombia. One of these three teams is going to face England. One of the others is going to face Belgium. The other one's going home. What's going to happen here? Yeah, I just don't know. I think uh, you guys on Totally Football Show called this correctly pre-tournament. This is the, the most interesting group, the hardest to call group. And anything I can guarantee is that Poland won't be going through. Uh, Japan, given that Poland's already out, you have to fancy them to go through. They're 6-4 to four to beat Poland. Poland 9-5 to five to get the win there, and it's 2-1 to one the draw. The other match is a really fascinating one. Senegal 7-2 to two to beat Colombia and progress. Colombia are odds on 5-6, to six, despite being very unimpressive in their first match. A bit better in their second game. 5-2 to two the draw there. This could be mayhem, this could be chaos. And I think it's going to be my favourite day of the tournament so far. Well, I'll tell you what my favourite day is going to be. It's Friday because it's a rest day. <laughs> uh, me too. Too right. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com. It's 18 plus only, begambleaware.org. And when the fun stops, stop. Uh, remember, listeners, you can... Uh, Tweet us at The Totally Show with your questions, comments and all that kind of thing. And we are, as I mentioned before, on Facebook with the quiz tomorrow. But there's always some stuff there, competitions and the like. All right. It's going to be weird tomorrow, the final day of the group stage. has come around so quickly, Michael. It has. And I think it, uh, yeah, now it really starts to get going. I think the knockout stages, if they're anything like the group stage... Um, and it has tailed off in previous tournaments. There's been a good group stage and a poor knockout stage. But if it's, you know, relatively the same standard, I think it could be really exciting. Right. It's been a terrific World Cup so far, hasn't it, Jay? It's been good. Really enjoyed it. A lot of drama, a lot of teams playing well, a lot of good teams playing badly, which mm. always makes it fun. Yeah, been really good. All right. Adam, you're the man of the cliches, but this has mm. been a World Cup that has effectively ended some of the cliches. Yeah, quite refreshing to see some of these kind of dated dusty old international stereotypes being debunked but uh, but Germany not looking efficient not ruthless mm. and getting dumped out uh, embarrassingly yeah it's nice refreshing. we've got a whole whole fresh set of cliches about VAR and, uh, and the like though uh, busy bedding in alright well uh, we'll be back as shred after England Belgium on Thursday evening so look out for us then many thanks Adam for being with us today thank you Jack Lang Michael Cox and you listener have yourselves a super Thursday We'll catch up with you after. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. Subscribe now and get the latest episode delivered right to your phone for free. Supporting your team at the World Cup can be a phenomenal experience. But then Beckham boots Simeone, Lampard's goal isn't given or someone puts on an England shirt and misses a penalty. The highs, more often than not, come with lows. And that's a little bit like life, really. So while we're all supposed to be buzzing with World Cup excitement and lapping up all this football, all that VAR and all those Nigeria kits, remember that someone close to you might be going through one of life's tougher times. Every day on average, 12 men take their own life in the UK. That's your starting 11 and your manager every single day. Scary, huh? But that's part of the problem. Many of us still feel mental health and suicide are taboo topics, and this can stop men from opening up and getting support when they need it most. That's why we're working with Calm, the campaign against living miserably, a charity dedicated to preventing male suicide. 
we here at the Totally Football Show believe we should all support each other the way we support our team. Through the ups and the downs, the glorious wins and the embarrassing red cards, the good days and the bad. So if you're worried that someone close to you is having a tough time, check in with them and let them know that Calm is there. Every day from 5pm till midnight, Calm provides a free confidential and anonymous helpline and web chat for any man who needs support. They've also got a website which is packed with the kind of info you need if you or any of your mates are having a rough one. Visit thecalmzone.net to find out more about Calm.